0: everyone and welcome to our next episode of Cognition Conversations. This conversation is entitled Proteomics and Pathways of Neurodegeneration. I'm Lisa Ricciardi, and this morning we are joined by a panel of leading experts in the field of biomarkers and proteomics. We're seeking their insights on new research presented last month at the ADPD meeting in Gothenburg, Sweden. With their help, we want to put into context findings from our own research on CT1812 for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. First, let me welcome Dr. Charlotte Tunison. She is the professor of Clinical Neurochemistry at Amsterdam University Medical Center. She is indeed a global leader in biomarker research. She did an outstanding job at ADPD last month, and if you were fortunate enough to hear her, you'll be very pleased to listen to her moderate our panel this morning. Our next panelist is Dr. Nick Seafried. He is a professor of biochemistry and neurology at Emory University, and Nick and his lab have done pioneering research on unbiased proteomics mix analysis. We count Nick as a partner in our work to advance treatments for Alzheimer's disease. Finally, a man who I would argue needs no introduction in the field of biomarker research, and that is Dr. Henrik Zetterberg preeminent expert in the field from the University of Gothenburg, He is also the group leader of the UK Dementia Research Institute. And last, with pleasure, I introduce our own Dr. Mary Hamby, Vice President of Research here at Cognition Therapeutics. With that, Charlotte, I'd like to turn
1: this over to you. Okay, thank you, Lisa. That was wonderful. Uh, I will uh, now move over to Nick, Nick Seyfried, uh, for some introduction into proteomics data. So Nick, can you give us some introduction? uh, What are proteomics and what can it it bring us?
2: Yeah, thanks, Charlotte. So our technology that we use is a mass spectrometry-based proteomic approach to measure the uh, uh, proteins that are circulating in the cerebral spinal fluid. And so uh, unlike sort of the hallmark uh, biomarkers, which are amyloid and tau, what we do is look at all the proteins or at least the, the top 2000 or so proteins in the spinal fluid that reflect uh, multifactorial differences and mechanisms that are happening in the brain. We can determine how the drug is impacting, let's say synaptic biology or inflammation, and also relate these changes to more of the core biomarkers that are, are, are being used in these studies.
1: Okay, thank you very much. But in essence, uh, what do proteomics technologies, uh, how do they work? What do they compare?
2: They compare differences in, in protein levels. They'll, they'll look for things that go up or down in response to, tr- in this case, in response to treatment. And what we can do is, we can look at those, whether those same proteins that are going up and down relate to um, Alzheimer's uh, pathology and that in relationship to, let's say, phosphorylated tau or amyloid levels.
1: So now speaking about trial, I think it's very interesting to move on on to uh, Mary, Mary Hemby, uh, to give a snapshot into the top-line trial results and how the trial was designed.
3: Thank you, Charlotte. Just to remind you that these trials were studying the effects of CT1812. The mechanism of action of CT1812, we believe to be a disease-modifying synaptoprotective mechanism of action. CT1812 is an orally available brain penetrant, small molecule modulator of the sigma-2 receptor. And when CT1812 interacts with the sigma-2 receptor, this can lead to a displacement of amyloid beta oligomers from the neuronal synapses, thereby reducing synaptotoxicity. This is just to remind you what the clinical trial layout was. You see here we have a placebo arm, and we tested two doses of CTH12 in both the Shine trial on the left and the Spark trial on the right. Again, six month duration of treatment. The n is thirty six for the Shine cohort, an n of thirty four for the Spark cohort, and for the meta analysis, this increased our ability to have, pull out statistical significance by increasing the power. What you see here is the volcano plot that just demonstrates the proteins that were altered. We identified 302 statistically significant proteins altered, some up-regulated in red and some down-regulated in green. Some of those proteins of interest were genetic risk factors, clusterin. that's a genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, also known as APOJ. We also saw a significant decrease with CT1812 in APP, amyloid precursor protein, Bond 1, which is an amyloid biology-associated protein, and synaptotagmin 7, a synaptic protein, which is interesting given our synaptic protective mechanism of action. And actually, I'm going to ask Nick if you can describe that.
2: Yeah, so we did an unbiased mass spec proteomic approach on about 516 individual brain samples across the Religious Order Memory and Aging Project, as well as the Banner Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. And then we look at patterns, essentially what network biology is looking at, correlation patterns of all proteins in the data sets. And then what you can do is get communities or modules of, of proteins in these networks and relate these proteins to clinical and pathological endophenotypes of the disease. So not only will you see you know, modules that are associated with amyloid or tau, but you'll see synaptic biology, you'll see neuroinflammatory microglial modules, mitochondrial energy metabolism, glycolysis. It's a framework in which you can judge what pathophysiologies and mechanisms are being impacted by the disease.
3: So what we found is that when we did do the brain mapping, that the top module that was affected by ct 12 compared to placebo was synapse. So we next performed gene ontology analysis, again supportive of our synaptoprotective mechanism of action. And we identified that the top Pathways that were statistically significantly altered with CTH12 compared to placebo, and what you see here, if you look at these pathways, is that the amyloid biology pathways are implicated. Number one is the gamma secretase. You see neuroinflammation, immune response for pathways two through four, and again, number five is amyloid biology. Overall, the pathway analysis points to a role of CTH12 in regulating synapse biology. Amyloid biology is might be expected based off our mechanism in blocking amyloid beta oligomer toxicity and also neuroinflammation. As you can see from the Venn diagram, we found nine robust biomarkers of CT1812 that were altered across the two independent cohorts and in this analysis. So this is a replication of our biomarker findings from SHINE and SPARK. and also they were pulled out as, again, statistically significant with the meta-analysis, which means they're moving in the same direction. So those nine biomarkers are moving directionality in the same way across trials. So we were interested in looking at these modules in more detail. We looked at the tan and the purple module and what's shown here, and was very exciting to us. So as I mentioned, our mechanism, right? We have CTHN12 binding sigma two. This kicks off the amyloid beta oligomers from the oligomer receptor on neuronal synapses. And the major constituent of the oligomer receptor happens to be prion protein, also known as PRNP prion protein is one of the hub proteins in the center. So PRMP is right there in the center. Those are the hub proteins for the module, and as you probably are aware, the thought to be the drivers, potentially, of regulating the entire module or potential driver. So that we found to be very exciting and is supportive of proof of principle that our mechanism is intact in patients. The conclusions as we have taken you through is we identified pharmacodynamic biomarkers of CTH12. The comparative analyses were quite exciting, showing for the first time replication across two independent cohorts of patients in clinical trials. Network analysis identified and the pathway analyses that support our mechanism of action of synaptic protection, neuroinflammation, and amyloid biology. And again, data provide additional evidence in support of the continued clinical development of CTH12 for Alzheimer's disease. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Mary. So I'd like to ask you a few questions uh, about the findings that you just uh, presented. So first, uh, about your impression. What was your reaction when you first saw the results of the trial?
3: I remember calling up Nick <laughs> and telling him that we found prion protein. <laughs> oh, yes. I was so excited to see that because um, that it, this is the first study that showed the, the prion protein being um, altered and in this um, patient population. Um, so that was quite an exciting finding for us. And um, of course, the ability to pull out what we believe to be real pharmacodynamic changes with CT1812 that previously we couldn't see because they only trended. You only look at the biomarkers that are statistically significant. So this enabled us to have confidence that those other biomarkers that were um, now statistically significant in the meta-analysis might be truly real.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I think the replication is also important. So in in science, one study is no study, but you did already two studies. And uh, it's very exciting that you see a replication of some of your data already. And this shows also the power of the study design, I think. How do you plan to validate these findings in independent cohorts?
3: Yes. um, So as I mentioned, SHINE is still ongoing. There will be 144 patients when that trial is completed. And so we have been collecting cerebral spinal fluid from those patients at end of study and at baseline so that we can continue to look at these and bolster our biomarker package for ct 12 clinical development.
1: Really exciting. Nick, what were your thoughts when you first saw the results?
2: Yeah, no, I, um, we were working together and looking at the changes. And I think the the broad impact on synaptic biology is what struck us. But the caveat here, as Charlotte, as you mentioned, is that this is a very small trial. Um, what I liked is that the, that there was consistency from the first trial and the second trial. So a lot of these studies will sometimes not show a concordant direction of change in response to treatment. And so that was nice to see that we saw the same some of these same targets respond in the same direction of change
4: I must say I was impressed and positively surprised by the results because just like we have discussed here, I thought perhaps doing a big explorative study on this limited sample number would be difficult. But I'm very happy that um, uh, this merged analysis reinforced some of the markers because that's not self-evident. I also think it's um, so nice to do this type of work to establish a sort of a translatable biomarker pipeline when preparing for entering into clinic with, with, with these drugs long-term.
1: Yeah, and how does it, this affect your view of the S2R modulation as a therapeutic strategy in Alzheimer's disease?
4: I think it's too early to say on the basis of this data, but, but uh, I, I feel... Um, uh, positively. I mean, I'm surprised Perhaps not a, bur- a good word in science, but uh, I-, I think uh, these data are interpretable and uh, also the possibility of replicating the findings in this larger study that is ongoing, that will be very powerful.
1: So we were talking a lot about the Sarnepto uh, protective mechanism of the C-1812. Uh, but I also noticed some uh, changes or, or pathways related to amyloid toxicity. Isn't that interesting too?
2: Yeah, I think when they um, uh, ran the MetaCore analysis, they also saw some pathways involved in amyloid precursor processing, gamma secretase activation, which is interesting in its own right. I mean, could the drug indirectly be impacting amyloid production?
3: Interestingly, if you look at the literature when prion protein is regulated and, you know, up or down, there's a, um, been literature published that that can regulate APP levels.
1: What would be the appropriate next steps in the development of the compound C2-8012?
4: Regarding the biomarker results, I think replication is, of course, what will happen now. And it's so nice to see that it's already planned for it. And I, I think um, uh, seeing these types of synaptic proteins and also some proteins that are relatively strongly linked to astrocytes uh, uh, on top of the APP amyloid uh, regulating aspects, uh, all this to me looks very exciting.
3: Currently this year, we have crossover-designed clinical trials, Sequel, That's reading out. That's a 28 day on treatment washout period and patients are on placebo for another 28 days. It's a crossover design study in Alzheimer's patients. And then SHINE is the 144 patient clinical trial that I mentioned mild to moderate Alzheimer's patients where again there's a six month course and that trial is reading out in 2024.
1: And thirdly, into the mode of action Um, And and also in view of the developments uh, and very positive phase three trial results for the anti-amyloid antibody therapies. So how do you position your drug? Is it an alternative for anti-amyloid therapies or do you think that it should be a combination therapy or one should uh, be given earlier and the other later? What's your vision about that?
3: The field believes, right, that there are multiple mechanisms and multiple um, pathways that are aberrant in Alzheimer's disease that we need to alter, ameliorate. Um, and so the, the amyloid beta lowering approaches have um, you know, shown great promise in the last year, including data from Lilly this past week. Um, really exciting. And this, we believe our mechanism of action to be complementary. It's stopping synaptic toxicity by blocking the ability of amyloid beta ligomers from eliciting their ill effects on the neurons and the synapses. And so we absolutely believe that this approach would be complementary to some of the other approaches.
2: Yeah. So, you know, at a real high level overview, I feel like these studies are trying to determine how these drugs work, how this drug actually works, Right. And what what we're seeing here is that there seems to be an impact on synaptic biology and potentially indirectly on neuroinflammatory signals, right? So, another important thing is that ultimately the phenotype we want to see improved is cognition, right? And this is something that we should be thinking about is that from these data sets, can we actually find markers that correlate to cognitive improvement? And do we see spikes in these synaptic proteins that we can then say, oh, there, look, these are some targets? that could be related to the improvement of cognition and lay the framework for the mechanisms of the drug on how it works.
1: So you mean that uh, essentially it will then provide proof that if there is a cognitive change, which we, which we think is related to synaptic dysfunction, and if you then also see a change in cogn- in the synaptic proteins, that's a more or less a, a more du- or quite direct proof that you're on the right tra- track with the biology.
4: Now we have discussed a lot about... Um... Uh, synaptic markers, amyloid and and, um, and so, but there are also, uh, some of the biomarker hits are related to neuroinflammation. Uh, But when I looked at the list also, I was thinking that it could also be astrocytic activation and potentially some of these markers could then be linked more to astrocytes at the synapse. At the same time, if you have synaptic dysfunction, you might um, also get activation of synapse removal pathways, at least in neurodegeneration. And if the drug does something against that, perhaps also some, those pathways are often a little bit neuroinflammatory, involving microglia and astrocytes. To me, still, the synaptic signature is what stands out the strongest.
1: I can add to that. Uh, I do think that it's not only interesting to know whether uh, the effects are pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory or on those mechanisms, but also whether they are more specific for astrocyte biology or microglia biology, because that will increase our understanding of such biology. Uh, Would it be advantageous to look at those biomarkers also at later time points in these trials?
4: I definitely think so. It might be that at later time points, uh, things will become even clearer. It would be reasonable to think that that uh, the Alzheimer pathology-related biomarkers—if I mean, of course, synaptic dysfunction is also Alzheimer's pathology—but uh, plaque and tangles uh, that, that could be much uh, a bit slower.
1: Did you measure those Alzheimer hallmark biomarkers
3: in the trial, Mary? To Henrik's um, point, we do have another. A clinical trial in early to mild Alzheimer's patients that's starting this year. It's called START and it's an 18 month trial. It's a 540 patient trial. We won't be collecting CSF from all patients. However, we will be collecting CSF and plasma from a subset of patients for biomarker analysis. So we will be able to get at that question do the same biomarkers that we're seeing move at six months? continue to change over that course at 18 months.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, also, the 18-month extension, because that's the similar duration of the recent positive anti-amyloid trials. So that will also allow you uh, to, to show some effects on cognition, or, or you have more space to see a significant effect, I think. So this was a a very interesting uh, discussion so far, and we come to an end. Uh, So uh, as a final note, can I ask you uh, to give a final comment on your thoughts?
4: I was very happy to see this brave biomarker discovery uh, approach. (laughs) Uh, I I really liked it.
2: Yeah, it's a nice first step in in trying to resolve the biology of CT1812, and I think in humans. Which is important, and I think it will it will lead to, to new information and hopefully um, um, replication in larger in larger clinical trials.
3: Yes, I think this has been a wonderful discussion today, and um, I thank you all for you know your your thought leadership in this um, throughout the process.
1: Thank you. So uh, I I want to give my own final words. And uh, that's uh, first to thank you all for the wonderful discussion. You shared very good insights with us and with the public. Uh, So both of you, Nick and Hendrik, but also Mary from uh, your point of view. Uh, And I hope this is not the final words, uh, uh, but that we will have more fantastic results coming out of the trials And that ultimately, we will be able to cure Alzheimer's disease as early as possible. So I want to thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to
0: Conversations, a podcast series by Cognition Therapeutics. Our goal is to bring important topics to patients, caregivers, doctors, and other interested colleagues These conditions affect all of us. You can watch video recordings of this podcast series at our website, cogrx.com, under the Conversations tab. We hope you'll subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others to help us grow the conversation.